Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning and welcome to Vessel Collective Church. You guys, this microphone feels like it's a hair on my face, so just bear with me if I end up tugging, uh, you know, at some point because I'm going to need to get used to it. Um, I am so glad that you guys are here. I, I, you know, I have taught before with Jake and I have taught before um, to a camera, but this is the first time that I've taught to real people in a very, very long time. So here we go. I'm Shay Toman. I think I said that. I am the Director of Discipleship, and you know, that's a title that's still a little weird for me to say, but what that means is that I give oversight to the children's ministry, the student ministry, and the small groups, and I get to be the one to wrap up this series that we've been doing on discipleship. So we spent the first part of this series really talking about what discipleship is, how does the Bible describe it, and how can we define that? And then we've spent the last few sessions, a um, few weeks, talking about what that looks like in our lives. And so the first week, Jake talked about listening to God's Word, how important it is that we are in Scripture, how we are listening to the truth that God has laid apart in the Bible. And then we jumped to Joe, who shared with us what it means to walk through suffering. That could look like our own suffering or the suffering of others, but all of that is used to grow us, that we learn from those situations. And then last week, Jacob talked to us about serving others and how in serving others, we are modeling what that looks like, that is fulfilling to us, but it's also fulfilling to the people that receive that love through our act of service. And today, we're going to finish by talking about relationships, watching good examples in our lives. Now, I want you to know up front that nothing that I say is probably going to be utterly profound or even funny. I am not the humorous one in our household. <laughs> I tend to be the more logical and practical one, um, but I hope that you are inspired. I hope that you look at the people in your lives maybe a little bit differently, and I hope that you're challenged to pursue some new relationships. So let's pray, and we're going to dig in. Dear God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the people that are sitting in this room to me because they are my friends. And uh, I get to speak to them this morning about who they are because they are all people that I'm in relationship with. They are important to me. So God, I just pray that you, you speak through me. Use me as an instrument to just share a message this morning. God, I pray for all of those people listening that um, they know you're with them and that you have truth to share to them this morning as well. 
God, we love you, and it is in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I am in a season of my life where I am learning. I didn't necessarily feel like the Bible had much for me um, during other seasons of my life. It was hard to understand, but I find myself in a time where I enjoy looking at Scripture. I am learning. I am digging in. So today might feel at first like a bit of a Sunday school class, you know? We're going to dig in, and we're going to hear some Bible stories, and I'm going to try not to just throw a bunch of information at you an overview, but I feel like in order to look at the relationships in our lives, we have to look at some of the relationships laid out in the Bible. So we all have different types of relationships in our lives, and the first one that is the most obvious is family, right? We all came from somewhere. We all have family that has been in our lives or is hopefully in our lives still. So we're going to look at a relationship in the Bible of relatives. And we're going to start with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And her story um, is most depicted in the book of Luke. So that's where we're going to start out. Luke chapter 1 we find the origination of Jesus. And that didn't just begin with Mary, but a relative of hers named Elizabeth. And I'm going to pick up in chapter 1, verse 34 through 41. It says, Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant, and I'm willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. And then the angel left. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here we find Mary, and she's just been told this stunning news. And she's choosing to have faith and believe what the angel said is true. But there's no doubt that she's afraid. There's no doubt that she feels a sense of vulnerability because she's not married. She is going to have a baby, but not with her husband. And she's going to have to have a hard conversation with him as well, which could leave her alone. She finds herself in a place where she needs some support. She needs some encouragement. She needs some help. And she knows that she can go and find that from a relative, Elizabeth. In fact, it feels like the angel's pointing her in that direction. She knows that Elizabeth is married to a priest, but has not been able to have a baby of her own. And yet here is this messenger, this angel who presents with her this revelation. Guess what? Elizabeth, your relative is also pregnant. 
And so Mary feels like this is a safe place for her to go. She feels like this relative in her life is the best place for her to find this encouragement and this support. Now, not all of us have relatives in our lives that we feel we can go to. That's really the sad truth. Some of us have relatives maybe that we still have in our lives, but they don't share our faith. Or we have relatives that we don't talk to very often, that it's not as easy to contact. But maybe we don't have relatives in our life that we feel like we can reach out to at all. So God gives us another type of relationship. Friends. We all have friends in our life. Some are friends that we see on a exchange, you know, work basis. They're they're just um, people that we casually are in friendship. But we have others that we could consider good friends. Some that even may feel like family. And so that brings us to our next Bible story. We find a tale of two men. (laughs) Joe mentioned them when he spoke um, a while back. We see Jonathan and David. You guys, this is one of the most depicted tales of friendship in the Bible. There is a lot of detail that's given with their friendship. And it's a really good read, and we find them in 1 Samuel and a little bit in 2 Samuel. So I want to start chapter 18, verse, chapter, sorry, chapter 4, verse 18. Nope, that's my next one. Chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, He met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, tunic, sword, bow, and belt. You see, first... David's relationship was with Jonathan's dad. We know David to be King David. We know the story maybe of him battling Goliath, but his story actually started before then. He befriended Saul in a rather odd sort of way. Saul, um, he fell out of good graces with the Lord, let's just say. And he found himself in a state of depression and anxiety, and he needed peace. And so he knew that David was a harp player, and he felt like that would give him peace. And he also knew that David was a believer. He knew that the, David had the Lord, so to speak. And so He first starts getting David to play the harp for him, but I think at some point he recognizes that David would make a good friend for his son. And so he introduces him to Jonathan, and he doesn't let him leave. He's like, buddy, you are staying with me. You're a good example for my my son, and you're staying here with me. And so instantly, this amazing friendship is formed between these two men. And their tale goes on and on, and they, they endure a lot of trials 
They endure separation. They endure a lot of elements in their friendship that make them really test how important they are to one another. But over time in their story, they make a pact to one another. And they end up making this pact three times. And it's not just to one another, but it's also a pact before the Lord because that's how important this friendship is to them. They want to make such a promise to one another that they are promising not only to one another, but before the Lord, kind of like you would in a marriage. You're making a covenant, you're making a promise, and you're asking God to hold you accountable to that. That's how much they loved one another. But again, that is a really sweet and specific friendship. And some of you may be saying, you know, I don't have a good friend like that. I don't have a person in my life that I can say I'm willing to die for. You know, I'm willing to make a pact and a promise before the Lord. That's how much this person is. I don't have that brotherly love in in a friendship. And that's where my last type of relationship comes in, fellowship. We are all in circumstances where we're around groups of people. You guys are sitting in a fellowship this morning. You're all here gathered together. But you also have fellowship at your workplace a lot of times. You're, you're in a group or you found community there. You uh, may be in a small group. Hopefully, you have found some fellowship with a group of people where you get to study the Word. Maybe you're in an accountability group or a book club or you have girls' night once a month. Like, you all have fellowship in an extended sort of way. And the best example of this is by far Jesus and his relationship with the disciples. So, I'm going to be in Matthew. This is recorded um, all over the Gospels, but I I wanted to land in Matthew this morning. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22 says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, fishing with a net. They were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, Come, Be my disciples, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went with them. A little further up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them to come too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. So I picked this scripture because I wanted you to see that these were just ordinary men. And they were doing ordinary jobs. But Jesus saw something in them, and he called them to this journey. He wanted to teach them, but the ultimate goal was to send them off. So he asked them to come. He asked them to join him. And what he did was he lived life with them in this intense training. They ate together. They slept together, but they also got to witness Jesus in his everyday life, which gave them an ultimate picture. He, they saw him eat with the rich and the poor. They saw him and how he interacted with the Pharisees and his friends. They saw him heal. They saw him perform miracles. And then eventually when they were ready, 
Jesus sent them to do those things on their own. Now, if we know all three of those tales and all types of those relationships, let's now look at our own lives. There are some things that all of these stories have in common, and that's where we're going to unpack these stories a little bit further. What do these relationships have in common? Well, number one, they're all Christ-centered. All of them. Mary reached out to Elizabeth because she knew that Elizabeth served the same God she did. And if anyone was going to understand her and not turn her away, she felt like it was going to be Elizabeth. She felt like she could go and tell her this crazy story. You know, this angel appeared to me and told me that I'm going to have the Savior of the world. I mean, to other people, that's nuts. She would be laughed at. They would think she was crazy. But she knew that Elizabeth might understand that because Elizabeth had this belief in the Lord, that it would be a safe place for her to go. David and Jonathan, I told you, their relationship started because David had the Lord. Saul saw that this was potential for his son. He saw that David would be a person that might be a good influence for his son. I mean, I do that. I do that. Dustin and his family moved into our neighborhood, and Thatcher was in Keller's class, and I said, ooh, that's good. That's good. I want to foster that relationship. That is a good example for my son, and I want that for his life. And so we see in 1 Samuel 23, 16, Jonathan went to David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith to the Lord. So they eventually had a mutual relationship where David was not just imparting his belief in the Lord, but Jonathan was encouraging him as well. And we saw that again as they continued to make a covenant to the Lord. Jesus and his disciples, they all had one common goal. That was to do the work of God. Now, I'm not saying that you guys cannot find challenges or growth in the relationships with non-believers. But in order for you to be discipled, in order for you to disciple others, there has to be a common faith. You can only go so far by a good person. They're not going to point you to Christ. They're not going to encourage you in your faith. And what's going to happen is, is that instead you will end up falling or regressing or leaving it behind all at all. We need people who are Christ-centered, who have a common belief so that we can grow in our faith. The second thing that I see in all of these stories is that they're authentic. They're real with one another. Mary was in a very vulnerable state. She realized that she had a predicament in front of her, and she goes to Elizabeth prepared to tell her this tale. 
you know? She's prepared to say all the things that she knows sound crazy to other people. Now, her hope is that Elizabeth is going to embrace her, but she doesn't know that for sure. She's hoping, but also preparing herself to go through the motions of sharing this vivid tale with her. And when she, when she enters in, she's immediately relieved to find out that Elizabeth already knows. And now they can be joyful together. So joyful, in fact, that Mary feels comfortable to sing a song of praise. You know, like for some people, that's really hard. You have to feel vulnerable to do that, right? Their relationship was real. Jonathan and David, they endure, I told you, a lot of trials. And one of those trials is that eventually Saul, Jonathan's father, has vengeance to kill David. I mean, talk about a a wedge in your friendship, (laughs) you know? Like, hey, I hate you, and I'm coming after you. (laughs) So Jonathan is put in a place where he has to choose between his friend and his father. And he knows ultimately that David, his friend, is righteous and that Saul is wrong. And so he has to choose his friend over his father. And that puts him in a place where he's constantly protecting David. He's constantly afraid, not only for David's life, but his own. And we see in 1 Samuel 20, 41, then David bowed to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. They didn't know when the next time they would see each other or if they would see one another. And they'd come to a place in their friendship that they meant so much to one another that they embraced, broke down in tears, wept. Now, if I were faced with a good friend and I didn't know if I was going to see them again, I would respond in the same way. But sometimes, you guys, that's hard for us to do. That's hard for us to do. And I'm telling you that these men were vulnerable with each other. They were real. They had an authentic relationship. It wasn't just an exchange of what they could do for one another. They loved one another, and that translated in the way that they treated one another. And we see Jesus do the same thing. He was never fake. He was the same with his friends as he was with all of his enemies. He spoke truth, and he never forgot that. And yet he was still able to humble himself. He was still able to be vulnerable. And we see at the end of his life how he lowers himself to wash the feet of his disciples. He was completely authentic. He never tried to be anybody that he wasn't, and he always remembered that he had a purpose, and that did not deter him from what he was called to do, no matter the audience in front of him. The third thing that I see in these stories is that they're mutually beneficial. They're not one-sided. Mary goes to Elizabeth, and she's looking for support, and she finds immediately that she's well-received. 
In fact, when she gets there, Luke 1, 42 through 45 says, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, you are blessed by God above all other women and your child is blessed. What an honor this is that the mother of my Lord should visit me. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy the instant I heard your voice. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. So immediately Mary gets there and all of her confirmation, I mean, everything is confirmed. All the things that she needed or was unsure about, they came to be. You know, when you are pregnant, a lot of times you have morning sickness. I did not have that. And what I came to realize is that morning sickness is actually an indication that you're pregnant. Because in the beginning, you, you don't feel anything in your stomach. You're not swollen. You know, it's, it's kind of like, is it there? I don't know. And I'm sure that Mary's feeling like this, like, at what point am I going to be pregnant? Gabriel, what, you know, what, at what point is it going to happen? And yet immediately, she goes to Elizabeth and it's confirmed. Yes, you're pregnant. And yes, what this angel said is true. But not only is Mary's faith strengthened, but Elizabeth's is strengthened. Because at that exact moment, the Holy Spirit, who had told her this information, also came to be. And the baby within her is leaping for joy, and they both are able to rejoice. They're both propelled forward in their faith. David and Jonathan um, feel like a one-sided story because Jonathan is constantly protecting David. He's constantly going and scheming to deter his dad away to protect David's life. But I told you, they made pacts to one another. And at some point in their pact, they promised that they would take care of their children beyond death. And so we see in 2 Samuel 9... After Jonathan has been killed and David is finally on the throne, David seeks out any living relatives of Jonathan. And he discovers that Jonathan's son, who's crippled, is alive. Now, as a person who's crippled, he did not have much of a future. But David sought him and he brought him to his palace and he let him enter in like his own son. And then he said, you know what? You are going to inherit all of your birthright, all the land that Saul, your grandfather, that would have gone to Jonathan. You get it all. He loved his friend so much that he remembered this pact. And he gave it all to his son. And Jesus. We think that Jesus was the teacher and he was constantly pouring and giving to others. But as a former teacher, I want you to know that there's a lot of patience that you have to learn in trying to teach others. You get frustrated. You get disappointed. You have to be considerate of those that you are teaching. So the Lord was certainly challenged in his relationship with those disciples. He was growing also. But the other part of that is that he chose those men. He didn't want to do the ministry alone. He knew that he would make a greater impact if he had 
fellowship, if he had people that were joining him in on this journey. And we see Matthew 26, 37, he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he began to be filled with anguish and deep distress. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. He's at a very low moment. He knows that his end is coming and he wants friends. So these disciples that were like his students had some point crossed over to being friends, to being like family for him. And in his darkest and, and, a, and a painful moment, that's what he wants. He wants them to be his friend. I am getting to experience all three of these categories right now in one circumstance. It's been a really sweet season for me. Melissa Godfrey and I, we lead the women's Bible study, and we set out to initiate a women's Bible study for the season, and we knew that it needed to look a little bit different. So we decided we needed an in-person option and a virtual option. And I am kind of a homebody, and so I was like, you know, I'll do the virtual. No big deal. I can sit in my comfy chair. I can be in my PJs. This is going to be fantastic. And I knew that my mom would most likely choose that option also. So I was prepared. Like, my mom is going to be on this Bible study with me. But then at some point as we got started, my sister realized that there was no fellowship for her where she lives. And her church wasn't doing anything, and she really felt alone. She needed encouragement and support. And she also discovered that despite being in Hawaii and having a significant time difference, that it was nap time for her children. So she said, I want to join this Bible study also. And you guys, I I mean, I've never had this opportunity with my sister She and I haven't lived together since I left for college, you know? So now I'm getting to participate in this study with not just my mom, but with my sister as well. And there are friends in there, and we have great fellowship. Even though I am leading this group, I feel like I'm learning the most. I'm getting to hear stories of my mom that I'd never known. She's talking about times in her life that she prayed for things, that she fasted for things, I'm hearing my sister heartfelt, sharing woes and and concerns and the prayers in her life. And not only am I seeing those in them, but I'm also seeing them in the other women that are in my group. And I'm seeing prayers answered. My sister, she... uh, she feels pretty alone where she is because, you know, she doesn't get to choose the friends. She doesn't get to choose the neighborhood. She's on base, and she's living in this little section, and everybody is from all parts. And so that's left her feeling a little isolated, especially since she can't go to church, and there's nothing that her church is doing for her. So a couple of weeks ago when we were um, having prayer requests, she said, you know, I just I really want a friend. I want another believer in my life that I I don't feel so alone. And so we set out to pray for that. And three days later, she sends me a text message. And she, she said, Shay, some woman on our military Facebook group posted that she needed a friend. 
And actually, it was her son that was praying on her behalf. He wanted Christian friends. And so my sister reached out to this lady and come to find out, not only was this woman looking for other spiritual relationships, but her sons, three of them, are the exact same age as my sister's three sons. It was so good. And I wept. Because I got joy from seeing my sister's prayer answered. And my sister got to share in this blessing with other people, making it fuller and richer and more impacting. That's what Christ-centered relationships do. That's what authentic relationships do. That's what fellowship does in our lives. So here's what I want to leave you with. What do I do with this? First, I want you to evaluate the relationships in your life. Think about the people that you invest in most. Do you have Christ followers that you consider friends? And are you authentically talking about that together? Are you having conversations about what the Lord is doing in your life and in their life? Are you praying with those people? If you're not, I encourage you to find fellowship. I encourage you to find people that can encourage you in your faith. I encourage you to find people that you can talk to, really talk to. Not just when they ask, are you good? You say, yes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. But say, yes, I'm good. And here's why I'm good. The Lord has been so good because of this. Or no, I'm not doing so good. Will you pray for me about this? That's made a huge impact in my life, and it's made a huge impact in the people that I see doing it also. If you are having trouble finding fellowship, look, we have people in this room. We have small groups. They are a place where you can do life with other people. It's a safe place where you can study the Word, but also be in relationship with other believers. There are discipleship groups. There are authenticity groups. We have Bible studies. There are opportunities for you. So I encourage you to dig in. And the last thing that I want to encourage you to do is to come to church. Because I need you. You need everyone else. One of the things that I discovered in the quarantine period and the lockdown is that I kind of liked being at home. (laughs) I kind of liked being by myself. I had my things and I had four people that lived in my house and that felt like enough stimulation. So, you know, I was kind of okay with sitting on my couch in my pajamas and watching church and drinking my coffee and I was okay with that. But I was just okay. Okay. Because once we started gathering again, 
I realized how much I missed people. And I realized how much they meant to me. You see, I was willing to settle for all the things that selfishly I thought were good. But it wasn't until they were taken away that I recognized how much I needed people in my life. And for some of you, that's not possible. And I understand that. But there is a community of people that are participating online. And if that's you, then keep doing it. But don't just tune in. Engage. Because those people are alone. And they need to hear your voice. They need to hear your perspective. And the way to do that is by typing in. And I know, I know that that's not the same. But it is something. It is a way for us to connect with one another. And it starts with somebody taking that first step. We're moving to the gym, like Jake said, so that we can provide a place where you are comfortable, where you feel safe, where we can spread out. So keep coming to church. Keep coming, because we need one another. And if you are a person who is at home, tune in. But don't just tune in. Talk to one another. Form community in whatever way you can online. I want to pray for you guys because I I want to pray for the relationships in your life. And I want to pray for the relationships that you might be thinking about right now and the relationships to come. So I want everybody to stand up. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.